0: of heights to the depths of the
1: sea and it says notice what it says i love the the poetic nature of this section because it speaks of god even though he can't be described it's speaking of him and using uh poetic phrases the of spring. every creature's
0: you Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Who is told every where it go? In is... As David summarized his life with God, he emphasized his relationship with God as being simple he cried out to God and God heard. David also knew that God could not hear the distress of his people without David taking action on their behalf. God was so concerned about David's problem that it seemed to David as if God shook the earth to meet his needs. What is most impressive is the magnificent way the psalmist describes God rising from his throne in heaven in response to his servant's cry. God promised us the same response to our cry for help. Now here's Pastor Rob.
1: It happens in the Valley of Rephim. They, they, they get in their battle array. David inquires of the Lord. The Lord says, I, I'll give them into your hand. Just follow through, David. So they do, and they get great victory. The next day, it happens again. And most people would say, all right, Philistine War 2.0. Let's get it on, right? We'll just go and we'll do the same thing. But notice David, he doesn't presume, he, he calls upon the Lord. He inquires of the Lord, and he says, Lord, shall I go up again? And he says, nope. Think of what would have happened if David, in his bravado, and his experience as a warrior, what would have happened if he would have just said, okay, guys, we did this yesterday, let's just go forward again, same pattern, play, break, you know, and everybody, it's like a, it's like a football play, you know, and they go down there, and they would have got walloped for sure. Because the Philistines, maybe they had something going on that David and his men didn't know, but God knows the hearts of all men. He can overhear what they're thinking, what they're doing. He knows their battle plan already, and he can speak to David and say, David, I want you to do something different. I don't want you to do the same thing. And wouldn't you know it, David listens. And that's a really good thing for us to do, to never presume, to... Inquire of the Lord, even when it's our strong suit, especially when it's our strong suit. I've done this many times before. I know how to do this. I've done it millions of times. I don't need to inquire of the Lord anymore. I got this down. This is a piece of cake. Pride goes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. It happens so often. You know, I'm learning that to pray a lot, to pray when you're in the car, I pray on the way here. I pray when I'm on my way back home. I pray in the, you know, whenever I can. Whenever I'm, I'm always talking to the Lord. See, God even saw to it that David's own son, Absalom, that he wouldn't even be victorious over him because David would call upon the Lord and what? He would trust in him. Like the song we sing tonight, I will trust in you. We really need to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I encourage you to trust in him more than you do? Trust in him, especially when things are going difficult and you don't understand what's going on. Those are the times to really trust him. And trust him when things are going your way. And there's nothing wrong with having a good day and everything going well. I I, I love those days, to be honest with you, and the Lord allows them. But those days when I'm, I'm out of sorts and everything seems to be against me, I need to be prayerful. But I need to be praying when the days are going well, because to be prayed up for when those things happen, I'm ready for them. You know what I'm saying? So notice, verse 5, it says, Now when the waves of death surrounded me, David says, the floods of ungodliness made me afraid, and the sorrows of Sheol, or the grave, they uh, surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry entered his ears. And you know what? Put an asterisk next to that verse and and think about this verse, because I treasure this verse because it speaks of desperation, doesn't it? In my distress, I called upon the Lord. Can I tell you that every time that I have called upon the Lord and I've I've really poured out my heart, sometimes even in tears, when I've really been in distress, when I've really been at my end and I am just frazzled, I'm frustrated, I'm even angry, and I'm just going to the Lord and I'm shaking and I'm crying and I'm hurting and I'm desperate, he has never, ever left me. And he will never leave you either. When you're going through it and you're, you're hitting, the, hitting the wall and you're hitting the wall and hitting the wall, drop to your knees and just pray to God and say, God, help me. I don't understand anything. I am just torn apart. I don't even know what my name is. I just want to check out of this rock. I want to go home. Have you had moments like that where you're just like, I'm, I'm, I'm fed up? And I think the older we get, the more we want to jump off this rock quicker because you've seen it. You've been through it. You're like, all right, I've had enough of it. I've seen it. I don't want to go through this again. But but the Lord always responds to desperation. And I love this, that your prayers, when you call out to the Lord, your prayers are are stored in heaven. In Revelation chapter 5, what does it say? 5 verse 8 it says, When he had taken the scroll, the, the Jesus... The four living creatures, the Lamb of God taking the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Can you imagine that? The prayers of the saints. Every prayer that you've prayed, God keeps an escrow. He holds them and he's one day going to offer them up. And, and, and he's answering them. He's answering them right now, but one day all those prayers that you've been praying for are going to be fulfilled, and he is going to put those on the altar. It even tells us in Revelation 18 during the seventh trumpet seal, it says this It says, Then another angel having, and this is uh, Revelation 8, verse 3, another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar. And he was given much incense. And again, this scene is in heaven, remember, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And this is in glory. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. It's so wonderful to think that God holds our prayers so dear to him because we've put trust in him. And we've prayed to him in earnest. Verses 8 through 17, as we look at this section, it's really reminiscent of when God came down from Mount Sinai. Remember when the children of Israel had come out of Egypt. They were three months in the desert, three months on their journey. It shouldn't have taken them three months to get from where they were going to where they were going but they they because of their disobedience there they are but in 3 months god was going to meet them on mount sinai and give them the 10 commandments and other commandments and it says notice what it says i love the the poetic nature of this section because it speaks of god even though he can't be described it's speaking of him and using uh poetic phrases and you'll see what i mean the earth shook notice and trembled and the foundations of heaven quaked and were shaken because he was angry smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth and coals were kindled by it he bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet and he rode upon a cherub and flew and he was seen upon the wings of the wind evidently the the pagan Canaanite god Baal was known to his worshippers as the rider of the clouds. Baal was known as the rider on the clouds. And here God is ascribing that characteristic or that, that way of motion to himself. And I love that. He's just going, I don't care what they think. Uh, this, is, this is who I am. And <laughs> I love that. God is the one who has command over nature and the universe. And David certainly knew this with his flirtations with the Philistines. He knew about this. But notice in verse 12, it goes on. He made darkness canopies around him, dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness that was before him, coals of fire were kindled. And the Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning bolts, and he vanquished them. And then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were uncovered. At the rebuke of the Lord and the blast of the breath of his nostrils, he sent from above, and he took me, and he drew me out of many waters. When I read something like that, the imagery of those words just gives you just an awesome understanding of who God is. And yet, I believe it's even still pale in comparison, but it's it's, it's framed in such a way where we can understand how powerful God really is. And that's really important. Because as you stand before your enemies and your mountains, whatever that mountain is that's in front of you, you have to know the one who created that mountain and who allowed that mountain to be there and to trust in him. And to trust in him for deliverance. David so many times had been so close to death. He even told Jonathan, he said, Jonathan, your father is relentless. He's coming after me. And I am but this close to death. Between me and death is a breath. And there was even one time when Saul was chasing him around one of the mountains there in Israel, and they're chasing him around the mountain, and and the Lord didn't allow David to be caught. And he was closer then of being caught than any other time but when I hear language like this, it reminds me, it encourages me. And, and then yet to think that even in this poetic display of God's power, that it's still compale compared to who he really is. That's what I like to dwell on. In fact, you can't think of a more lofty thought. You can't think of a, a thought so great that God wouldn't ascribe or has already been there. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's no thought that I can imagine in my heart that could be so great that would be greater than him. It's just not possible. And see, that's who he is. He's so much greater than anything I can even conjure up in my heart of hearts. And I love that about him. And David was so, he trusted the Lord. And it just speaks of his omnipotence and the mystery of God's character. Do you ever notice that when it talks about thick clouds and dark clouds and and all of that and you think, Wow, that's kind of interesting because wouldn't it be like bright clouds and white clouds and you know we have this uh, heavenly thought about the, the, the glory of God and yet he, he, he's veiled because he's so awesome. Because if he revealed himself, and in fact, that's why one of the things I believe we have to be raptured. We have to be changed in a new body because if we were to stand, if God was to appear, God the Father or even Jesus was to appear in this room right now in all of his glory, there would be nothing left of this place. (laughs) There would be nothing left. We wouldn't make it, folks. I, I really don't, th- unless His grace, you know, preserved us. But at the very least, we would have our face on the ground and and wishing for death <laughs> because of the dread of His holiness. I, I, there, that's something about that I just I love to think about. Because I, in this body, I'm full of sin, even though I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I know that I am. St- I've still got so much stuff in my heart. Maybe you can relate. And to see God and all of His beauty and His love and His Glory, unbridled, oh my goodness. He dwells in unapproachable light, the Bible tells us. And for me right now to stand in that presence, I would be a puddle. I would be a puddle. My breath would be taken away from me. You know, when we look at this, if uh, you don't have to turn there, but maybe you write in your margin of your Bible Exodus 19 because we see similar language when God gave them, uh, the children of Israel, the covenant from Mount Sinai. It says in verse 16 of Exodus 19, it says, Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings And a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp, they trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. And now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And then when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. And then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. You know, and when you compare that with what we just read here, which is Psalm eighteen as well, it it just it, it blows you away to think of God of how awesome he is. Be encouraged by how awesome he is. There's no one like him. There's no one like him. There's no one like him. And when we even see the forces of nature at work, you know, as I see the, you know, when you think of, um, you know, uh, acts of nature, you know, remember that God made nature. It ought to bring us to our knees in worship and and a holy dread. When you see just by nature what can happen with Mount St. Helens in 1983, I think it was, or 1980. The whole top of that thing blew off and created a cavern. It just, it just leveled everything, and it was such a geological mind-blower. And what about the tsunami of 2011? Seeing the might of all that, just cities washed away completely, the hurricanes and the tornadoes, the volcanoes, the rain and the flooding, and you see all these acts of nature, and you see the power of it, and you're just like, oh, my goodness, remember that God is the author He's not the author of the tornadoes, and no, I believe that's somebody else. But he created all those things and all that power. He's like, oh, it's no big deal. I can move anything I want, God says. But notice verse 18 back in our text. It says, he delivered me from my strong enemy. This was true of David. David could say this. He removed me. He delivered me from my strong enemy. He delivered me from Saul. He delivered me from the Philistines. He delivered me from my own son, David would say, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me, especially as David got older and his son was coming after him, and he had to leave Jerusalem and he's going up the Mount of Olives, and Shimei is throwing rocks and calling him names and and, and everything and blaspheming David, and David is just at that point an older man. He just doesn't have it with he doesn't have it together like he used to. And he's just like, oh my goodness, they were too strong for me. They were too strong for me. And then they confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. And the Lord hasn't changed. He's going to be your support too. Many of you have gone through really difficult things lately. You've gone through deep waters and God has been your support. And he'll never leave you. He'll never leave you. He will always respond to desperation. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. Well, so much for the unbiblical phrase, God helps those who help themselves. It's an unbiblical phrase. God helps those who help themselves? No, there's, it's nowhere to be found in the Bible. In fact, God helps those who can't or are unable to help themselves. He is the God of the underdog. He's the God of the wounded. He's the God of the weak. And he also, verse 20, he brought me into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has recompensed or awarded me. In verse 21 through 25, as we're going to look at, not only speak of David's experience, but it also speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. And David was very much aware that he was a sinner, so when he speaks of the cleanness of his hands and these kinds of things, you have to understand that he 's speaking uh, he 's speaking through um, a different lens, if you will. he knows that he 's a sinner, but he also knows that there 's blessings for obedience he also knows that there 's blessings for obedience, and turning away from sin, he experienced it because the Bible tells us that all have fallen. Sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Psalm 14 tells us that there is the fool says in his heart that there is no God. That there is no God. That they are all corrupt. God says they've all done abominable works. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. But here's the thing: they've all turned aside. They have all together become corrupt. There is no one, not one, is good. No, not one. That's what the Bible says. And according to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me. There are blessings, again, for obedience. I would encourage you to read Deuteronomy 28. Put a little note in the margin of your Bible. Deuteronomy 28. Read the whole thing. It talks about blessings and cursings. If you do these things, God will bless you. But if you don't do these things, you're going to be cursed. (laughs) Your life's going to be a wreck. And when you look around at people's life, you can say, yep, people's lives are a wreck because they've been been totally disobedient to God. Instead of embracing life, they want to destroy life. Instead of telling the truth, they'd rather tell a lie. It's a bitter pill for them at the end. It catches up pretty quickly, and it it grows like a wave. It's always good to be honest and upfront with the Lord and with everybody that you have to deal with. But notice... um, and he, he will not only reward you, but he will also reward those who are currently doing evil. Hosea tells us that they sow to the wind and they're going to reap the whirlwind. Proverbs 22, verse 8 tells us, he who sows iniquity will reap sorrow. Isn't that true? Have you experienced it yourself? Have you reaped iniquity when you were younger? I did. I repped. I repped? I reaped? I don't know what the right phrase is there. Somebody, can somebody conjugate that verb? I reaped. I reaped that many times. Yes. Today I reap many times. Never mind. Anyway. But the idea is (laughs) that whatever we sow, we will reap. Do not be deceived, Galatians tells us. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Psalm 37, verse 9, tells us For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. And then it goes down at the end, and it says in verse 12 of Psalm 37, the wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. And notice in verse 13, it says, the Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. The Lord laughs at the wicked. for though, no, no, don't misunderstand this. He loves the people, but if they are continuing in their wickedness, God is going, he's laughing at them. What are you doing? It's folly to go against the Lord. It's folly to go against Him. And He knows that their day is coming. If they don't turn from their sin, their day will come, and it will not be a good day. Vengeance is mine and recompense. The Lord will judge His people. When He sees that their power is gone and there is no one remaining bond or free, that's the Lord. Vengeance is His. It belongs to Him. So back in verse 22 in, in the in our verse tonight he goes on David he says for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God for all his judgments were before me and as for his statutes I did not de- I did not depart from them that's a really good way to think of it It's a good heart to have I don't want to depart from your ways Lord I want to learn I want to grow I want to live, and I was also blameless before him, David says, and I kept myself from my iniquity. now and therefore the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of, of, uh, in his eyes. And you know this. May... That concludes
0: our time for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Second Samuel.